Would you stand with me in body or spirit for the reading of the word? I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is one of our sacred letters. You may be seated. Good morning. And uh, thank you, Preston, for that introduction. It reminded me that when I told someone um, I was moving to Waco in 2017, they said similar words as Preston. Well, that's a genius move. (laughs) When I came here in 2017, I'll be honest, the last thing on my mind was finding a church. Further down the list would be finding a Baptist church. Not making the list would be finding a liturgical church. Well, here we are. And here I am in in this pulpit speaking to you, and all I can do is thank God for each of you and for this church, for what it means to me. Like many here today, I believe that there are more lives to be welcomed, enriched, celebrated, and affirmed in the years to come. That's why the season we find ourselves in, call it transition, call it change, call it something we're not supposed to say in church, (laughs) is so important. It's a time for listening for and sharing with one another the subtle notes of grace while we hold space for what is next in the life of Lakeshore Baptist Church. So thank you for this opportunity to share, and thank you for being the loving, welcoming, and affirming church that I call home. Now last week, Bill Bellinger began his sermon by saying something I don't believe I've ever heard a preacher say before, and it struck me as deeply profound. He said, I often think that the sermons I would hope to preach have in one way or another already been preached here. In thinking about those words, and as I prepared my own sermon, I thought about our current culture of constant digital consumption. It seems we're continuously pressured into either creating or consuming fresh content and hot takes on everything from the critical to the benign. And we're not realizing that there are certain things, lasting truths, that deserve curation and propagation instead of getting that hot take, and realizing that my hot take may be not so hot after all. So here's my not so hot take. I'm pretty sure I'm preaching a sermon that you have well heard before. And to a certain degree, I I believe I may have heard it less than you have. So bear with me as this Methodist turned charismatic, finding himself preaching in a Baptist church, plays a little catch-up. This principle of holding space, 
although it may have not been said this way, seems to be in this church's DNA. In fact, it's one of the things that I love about this body. There's something about a community of people who see a greater cause than themselves, a different path, even if fraught with challenge, and a willingness to hold what is right or confront what is wrong, regardless of consequence. Whether it's holding an egalitarian view of men and women and living it, or confronting racism and social injustice in Waco and in other parts of the world, or standing for the priesthood of all believers, or declaring God's love holds no bounds in a time when othering seems to be what many churches in America have chosen to do, Lakeshore, make no mistake, is holding space. You've held space, and it's my prayer that that never changes. Before ever visiting here, I took the time to read Lakeshore's 50-year anniversary story. And since coming here, I've heard other parts of the story. And that's why I know that Lakeshore is well acquainted with doing just that. So I hope this sermon just reinforces all of that. And uh, we, we hear what I believe the Lord would say to us today. Writer Heather Platt says this about holding space. The space in between stories is the liminal space. In anthropology, a liminal space is a threshold, an interim, uh, interim space of ambiguity or disorientation that occurs in the middle stage of rituals, when participants no longer hold their pre-ritual status, but have not yet transitioned to the status they will hold when the ritual is complete. In liminal space, we are between identities, between who we once were and who we are becoming, like the chrysalis stage between caterpillar and butterfly. Now, I am not going to attempt to sing any show tunes today, but <laughs> Livy Bellinger's words to us on Pentecost Sunday have stuck with me, and even those lyrics from West Side Story. The air is humming, and something great is coming, who knows? It's only just out of reach, down the block, on a beach, who knows? Something's coming, I don't know what it is, but it's going to be great. And I believe that Libby shared with us something prophetic with us those two weeks ago when she said this, Get ready, Lakeshore, the Spirit is blowing through this place. Are you ready to be shaken up, blown about, and broken apart? Now, these words shouldn't cause alarm, but comfort us in that we are called to trust God to be at work among us, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But shaken up, blown about, and broken apart, how can these words be words of comfort, and what does it mean for us to hold space in challenging times of tradition and change? Our Old Testament reading recounts the climactic uh, ending of Joseph's long story, and when, if you haven't been told by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, or Larry Boy the Cucumber in, in Little Joe, or like me, first hear this story in a Dolly Parton song, let's just go over the, the main parts of this story. Joseph had a favorite son by a favorite, or Jacob had a favorite son by a favorite wife, Rachel. And to, to give that son prominence, he made this coat of many colors to denote his preference. And the brothers didn't like that because, you know, brothers. 
Now, Joseph had these dreams, uh, and one of them was that the brothers would bow down before him, and later on another dream where the brothers and the parents would bow down before him, and being a brother, he decided to share the story with his brothers because, you know, brothers. And along about that time, the brothers had had enough of the coat of many colors and daddy's boy and all this bowing crap, and so they sold him into slavery and made up a story and faked his death because, you know, brothers. So Joseph uh, ends up there. He ends up in, in prison, and, and, uh, or he ends up in this house, and some crazy, crazy stuff happens, and he ends up in prison because of the master's wife, because, you know, Real Housewives of Egypt. <laughs> anyway, while in jail, he meets some guys. <laughs> hey, I've been saving that joke for so long. <laughs> I was concerned about the, the, whether we would work through that. Anyway, so Joseph... So Joseph ends up in prison, and he can interpret dreams. So there's these guys that used to work for Pharaoh, and he interprets their dreams, and it comes out right. And then Pharaoh has a dream, and uh, he interprets it, and it comes out right. So Joseph ends up number two in command, and he also has this dream that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and he opens a food bank. And about two years into the operation of this food bank during the famine, his brothers show up. And the amazing thing is, and really my point about holding space, is that in a time of crisis, Joseph was not waiting for some climactic moment to release his bitterness and, and revenge, but he was holding space for those brothers who sold him into a pit, that family that believed he was dead, and he was there and said, hey, listen, I am here for you. Now, as a side note, let's not get into the fact that Joseph thought all of that was God's doing because... That's Joseph's perspective. And he may have been good with dreams, but he wasn't good with stuff God does to you. He was a little mixed up. We find ourselves now in a, as a nation where, where we're talking about things that we're a little messed up about. About things we did in coming here. About people we thought we could own. And we can't have some perspective that's like Joseph was saying God was working that. No. God wasn't working it. He wasn't in the middle of it. And so we find ourselves, uh, once again, as a nation, deciding what we're going to do. And then one thing that's wonderful about this church is when you look at its history, Lakeshore is always holding space for people on the margins. Lakeshore has always been holding space for those that have looked at as the others and not the one another's. Now I'm going to do something, and I really don't know how to deal with Preston on this because I don't think he saw my notes. I don't think I saw his notes. But I'm going to read you something from that 50-year history. And uh, it's from the first 25 years, and this is what it says. With the resignation of each of Lakeshore's pastors, Toller, Gray, and Fleming, many members honestly thought that no one could be found to take his place. And indeed, no one was found to take his place. Each new pastor made his own place in the life of the church. So it would be again. Now, these five words, so it would be again, resonate with us today. 
as we find ourselves with similar sentiments of change or loss in the continuing narrative of Lakeshore. I haven't been here long enough for one of these life events of the church, but nevertheless, here we are, old guard and newcomer alike, watching it begin again. Now, I don't know about you, but I just want to take a quick survey. How do you like it when someone uses something you said like that? I have three daughters, and I always think of them this way. They, none of them turned out to be lawyers, but in their adolescent and teen years, one was a judge, one was a prosecutor, and the other was a defense attorney. And I won't say which ones are which, but it was, I survived, but that's about it. But these words from your own history, from our own history, resonate. So we, be, so we would be again. In writing on grieving as a sacred space, Father Richard Rohr also talks about holding space when he says this. It is when you're finally out of the way. It is when you're in between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. It's no fun. Think of Israel in the desert, Joseph in the pit, Jonah in the belly, three Marys taking care of the tomb. If you're not trained in how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how to entrust and wait, you will run, or more likely, you will explain. Not necessarily a true explanation, but any explanation is better than scary liminal space. Anything to flee from this terrible cloud of unknowing. Those are of a more fear-based nature that will run back to the old explanations. Those who love risk or hate thought will often quickly construct a new explanation where they can feel special and again can gain control. Few of us know how to stay on the threshold. You just feel stupid there. And we're all trying to say something profound nowadays. Now, I promised to get back to this part where God is working among us because the rest of that, as we think about standing in this threshold, standing in that place of unknowing is a bit disconcerting to say the least. I know I've felt it. I've talked to others that have felt it. So let's think about this. This passage in Ephesians is one of my favorite uh, verses in one of my favorite books. And the prose that Paul uses in our reading today reflects his plea to a diverse church to hold space for one another. He uses this phrase, bearing one another in love for them holding space. He then reminds them why holding space is critical. And that is the unity summarized in verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Sometimes when, uh, in the years past when I've gotten sort of frustrated with church, and by church I mean people, <laughs> this brings me back and says, listen, this is it. it, it there's just one. I, I, I used to uh, teach on this sometimes, and I would just use the, the, the ones and the alls. So I would just go one, 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 all, 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 because that is our message to us right now. This, this is it. This is us. Preston mentioned it in his welcome. We are here. We are the ones that are one. And we're the ones that God is all in all for. He goes on to say that each of us is given grace according to Christ's measure. And that is some good news about God's grace 
at work in and for each of us as we hold space. Now, maybe the liminal space you find yourself in today has nothing to do with this church or nothing to do with what's happening here. You may be holding space for something or someone in your life or some other kind of transition that you're in for the first or the 50th time. If I could leave you with one thing, it would be this. Bear with one another in love. The kind of love that holds no bounds and, that, and the kind of love that knows grace, God's grace, means we always get to be again. So we begin again in this liminal space, holding it, despite the anxiety and ambiguity for ourselves, for one another, for whomever God calls to this pulpit, for others coming to this community and those throughout the world, he calls our hearts and our abilities to bless. We hold space as the Spirit blows through this church. Even when shaken up, blown about, broken open, we hold space, not knowing what we will become next. And like the Ephesians, we hold space in humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Amen.